They've been playing the game their entire life. From the playground. I promise to exercise and eat right. Don't forget 60 minutes of play a day, right? I'm playing the NFL. Yes, sir. I'm addressing number one. Maybe. To their high school. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. To the university. We have 95 players here, so accomplished as athletes in high school. We gave them full scholarships to the best football program in the country. Now, their lives are about to change forever. Become your mom's favorite player? Whoa. This is Locked On NFL, and this is the Locked On Podcast Network Mock Draft. Welcome to the finale episode of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. All 32 NFL hosts, we finished up round one yesterday, but we still want to talk with the Dallas Cowboys, Houston Texans, Chicago Bears, Pittsburgh Steelers, Los Angeles Rams, and Buffalo Bills to see where they are at with their first selections in this draft that will come up in round two. And Matt, I think we should crown some winners and losers. Obviously, when you look at a draft, you never know exactly how it's going to look, but I think there were some clear teams that we thought did things maybe a little bit better than some other teams or some teams that maneuvered in a way that we thought, okay, that is genius to let the board work for you. And I, I think I have an idea of a couple teams. I liked what they did. There's not really many losers, though, because I don't think anybody did anything appalling in this draft that I that I can see. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we have we have smart, smart hosts across our NFL network here, and it showed once again with this exercise, which was a blast. And my quick, you know, thumbnail winners, I guess, would be the Raiders, who's got to stand pat, the Vikings, who got a little bit aggressive. And I mentioned those two because I feel like both those teams needed a corner and a receiver. And they did their job. I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to do cartwheels over it, but they did their job. That's great. Um, the Giants, they still get their pick of the litter, the tackles, by moving down a couple spots. I would have taken Wills over Werfs, but so be it. I mean, the strategy worked to a T. The Niners, I'm definitely going to mention as well, I mean, because you and I both think Judy is the best receiver on the board. You get him at 13, and then you still trade out at the end of the first round to pick up more picks, which brings me to the Broncos, who might have been a little bit disappointed at 15 with Kinlaw, but then they jump right back in and grab Mim. So, Two massive needs filled, you know, big-time players. Um, it also brings me to – where was I going with this one? The Oh, the Bucks, because the Bucks kind of got screwed a little yeah. bit, and they got to move back and still got Josh Jones. And so I don't think they should be ha having any problems with that either. Well, first of all, I agree with you. The, the obvious smartest GM here of these 32 teams was the San Francisco 49ers. So great job by them. Um <laughs> But you mentioned, uh, so that's interesting, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Denver Broncos, both teams that at their first pick, they they didn't panic. And didn't go perfectly. They didn't go up, right. but it didn't go perfectly, but they still salvaged a very good draft. The Buccaneers added a pick and then got a really good player at a better value spot at pick 22 in selecting Josh Jones. So I love that for the Bucs and for Denver to take a really good player in Javon Kinlaw at 15, not panic there, but then come back with their extra picks in the third round. They still have two third rounders. They're able to come up from round two 
uh, into round one and then get a dynamic receiver at the end of the round and attack that position. So I loved what the Broncos did as well. Uh, I'm, you mentioned the the Vikings and the Raiders, two teams that are expected to go wide receiver and cornerback in some order in round one, and we'll see if that's the way things really go down. The Vikings were aggressive, went and got their receiver, trading up to 14 and drafting Henry Ruggs, but the Raiders, the way this thing fell and the way I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, okay, if this falls this way for the Raiders, I'm not so sure if the smart play isn't to just go cornerback at 12. And if you're the team taking one of those wide receivers, maybe that gives you a better chance of getting a better wide receiver at 19. I would like the haul of CJ Henderson at 12 and Justin Jefferson at 19 better than Lamb and AJ Terrell, maybe. And who knows? Maybe instead of letting the Vikings make a move, how about the Raiders make that move? Get both Lamb and CJ Henderson with a draft day trade. That would be a home run for the Raiders. So I think the Raiders could actually have done better. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. And, I, and that kind of implies that neither one of us love Terrell. And it's not that right. I don't love him. It's, I said at the time, being the third cornerback drafter you're probably not going to get great value because the top two are gone. To your point, Henderson goes 16, Terrell went 19. If you could have jumped to 15 or 16 and got Henderson and leave this draft with Lamb, Henderson, and you're minus a fourth or a third, I think you'd have a lot better taste in your mouth if you're the Raiders. So I hear what you're saying. There's a little bit of hindsight in there, of course, but I right. do think you know Jefferson at 19, nobody would have batted an eye. And that's why you do this sort of... An exercise is to go through this and say, oh, man, OK, if the board falls like this, we shouldn't do this. You know, if A happens, then maybe we should do B and maybe we should do C instead of B. And when you start to look at things like that, maybe you think, OK, we could do this differently and it actually could be a lot better if the board were to fall this way. So that that's what's so fun about mock drafts, because there's an endless amount of possibilities when just one pick is changed near the top. I want to talk about the top really quick. Real quick, I'm going to throw one thing out there oh, because... Sure. Even like for fantasy, I'm a big believer of do 10 to 20 mocks before you go sit in your draft, just because you're more equipped of, wow, seventh round looks like this. It's drier than I thought. You know what I mean? So, uh, and then just from personal experience, that year I was with the Browns, and I think most NFL teams do this. I was in charge of the NFC West back then. So we did a mock, and I did the Rams in Seattle, and they were the teams I knew best. So, you know, doing it even in the real world, maybe not this year because nobody's in the building, had value as well. And this year, maybe more importantly, just to get the technological side of things, you know, trying yeah. to work trades and, and working out mock drafts that way. I'm sure teams are really running through a lot of that stuff to make sure things are smooth on draft day. I can't wait to find out about the team whose GM's Wi-Fi goes out because, you know, that's going to oh, happen. Yeah. Like their internet connection is going to go down and and that would just all hell would break loose at that point. I, Daughters I, on TikTok or whatever. It's probably right. a lot of GMs that are actually going to use the old fashioned telephone quite a bit, I would imagine. Yeah, I guess so. You they know, can actually just, pick up the bat phone. You and know? that's right. probably how the picks should be called in just to make sure there's no internet outages that screw things up. Just get right. on the horn. It should not be faxing. I know right. that. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, real quick, at the top, the quarterbacks, how they fell. Joe Burrow went one to uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. The Chargers traded up in front of Miami to get Tua. The Dolphins stood pat at all three of their selections. Do you like how the Chargers and Dolphins played this thing with the quarterback and when it comes to Miami, staying at all three of their picks at 5, 18, and 26 and not maneuvering? We did talk Miami yesterday, and I, I don't love how it went. And part of it's because if this would have been Tua at 5 instead of Herbert, I would have said, I love how it went. Um, 
I don't think Herbert's a top five player. I, I just really don't. I'm not even sure he's a top 15 player, but he is a quarterback. I understand that. I got to say, though, and if I'm the Chargers, would it be better business to go after a guy like Tua that who knows what to believe, but the medicals don't sound great right now. And I understand the allure there or go sign cam and put tie, tie him with Taylor and draft Isaiah Simmons there or wills or Beckton, you know, like, wow, now you're talking and then maybe take from in the second round or Easton or somebody or not. And that's the latest chatter is that the quarterbacks, maybe both Tua and Burrow could potentially slide a little bit, which would be not Burrow, Tua. A two, yeah, Tua and Herbert. Both maybe are potentially not going there yeah. at the five, six range. But Tua, especially like there's a, a, a massive range of outcomes if people don't like his medical if he starts to slide. And we'll get a lot more into those scenarios, I think, next week. And actually, I want to have a segment, Matt, where I uh, run some of the rumors by you and you tell me whether or not you think they are a smokescreen or a, a lie because we know it's lying season and there's a lot of lying liars in NFL front offices right now. So I think that would be uh, absolutely a fun segment to do next week. But right now we've got to finish up this mock draft in round two. The Dallas Cowboys are going to be on the clock at 34. We'll find out who they would like to select uh, at that point and they would have you know only one player going off the board before the end of the first round and their selection, the first in the draft for Dallas at 34 overall. But first, I want to check in with the Locked On NFL Draft crew. Trevor Sikama and Benjamin Solak get their thoughts on round one as we head into round two of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. Ben, if we're starting out looking at this mock and we're analyzing the picks that were made, we don't have to travel too far. I mean, we got to start with the Los Angeles Chargers at number four. Them trading up with the New York Giants. One, it's a story because Dave Gettleman never trades back, and the guys who were in control of the Giants get to have them move back. But it's the Chargers who go up and get Tua, leave the Miami Dolphins then with Justin Herbert. What do you think about this move all around? Yeah, I think the top six is extremely realistic. It's extremely possible. It's there as long as the Chargers really make a strong enough offer to Dave Gettleman to move back here. It was 37, uh, their their second round pick, and then a 2021 third. I imagine it would take a little bit more to move Gettleman off his spot. I think it would take more too, yeah. And listen, that's the thing is Gettleman won't run the Giants. You know, it wasn't him. Now, obviously, when we come to draft day, it will be, and he's stingy, never traded back, as we know. But if it's going to look, if there's going to be a trade back, it's likely going to look like this. A small move up for the Chargers to go get Tua. I'm of the camp, and I know that we go back and forth on this, you and I. I'm of the camp that the Dolphins would rather take Herbert than Tua anyway, so they don't mind having a competitor have to trade up to go get a player. Yeah, sure. They weren't going to take. That's part of the, the gamesmanship of the NFL draft, certainly. Absolutely. So I think this this top six makes a lot of sense it's extremely reasonable it is interesting who that offensive tackle one will be for the Giants in this case Tristan Wirfs is the dude off the board I know that we're all all over the place nobody knows who their preferred tackle is going to be I'm going a little bit further down the list we're going right outside the top 10 for my next talking point the New York Jets they're at 11 they take offensive tackle Mekhi Becton over CeeDee Lamb Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, all three of those wide receivers still on the board. We know that the Jets need a playmaker for Sam Darnold. We had Connor Rogers of Bleacher Report on our guest mock draft series over at the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, and he was telling us that offensive line is still very much a priority there, but off, but wide receiver is still there too. Is it worth not getting any of those big three wide receivers for New York to take a guy like Mekhi Becton? I mean, like, it, it, it's it's tough to tell a team how they should build when you're able to go get so many 
actionable wide receivers in later rounds, especially in a draft like this or on the veteran free agent market. There's just a lot of bodies there and you can sculpt together an offense a lot easier with second tier and third tier wide receivers than you can with second tier and third tier offensive tackles. With that said, the the Jets spent a long time this free agency period going after offensive linemen and spent no time going after wide receivers. I know. I, I get the theory. I'm generally team build through the trenches before you build on the outside mm-hmm. but for the jets eventually you gotta add somebody so i guess we should wait and see what we're able to do in the second round and in the third round obviously we wouldn't see that in this draft but we would reserve judgment if they can get a michael Pittman at the top around two a donovan people's jones maybe we're having a different conversation but the jets if you've poured this many resources into the offensive line now for the second year joe douglas has really prioritized the line in free agency and now in the draft you better start seeing some results yeah, I, I'm with this pick. I just wanted to make sure that, that my opinion was out there. I know I asked you of it first, but I'm with the Mekhi Beckton pick, even if it is over those three wide receivers. Before we get to some of the guys they are going to be picking for the first time in the second round, got to touch on two of the teams that made some moves here in the first round. Minnesota Vikings went from number 22 all the way up to number 14. They took Henry Ruggs, and then at 25, they still got Christian Fulton. Then Denver Broncos, they took Javon Kinlaw at 15, come back at the end of the first round, get themselves some Denzel Mims. We've touched on these guys throughout the draft uh, as we've been able to pop in and give our commentary here, but you got to love what those two teams did in this draft, right? Yeah, particularly impressed by the Broncos. And I know I talked about it on the on the previous blurb that we did after their trade up to 31. But again, I, I think this is the way you do it. They move on from veteran players. They manipulate a past draft to get capital in this draft. And then when they see an opportunity to strike at value with Javon Kinlaw, they do. I think Kinlaw in a, in a Vic Fangio defense is easily one of the most exciting fits that we've got here in the first round. And then you go and take advantage of a San Francisco 49ers team that, unlike you, has sold their capital for this draft they need to move back and you end up sending them a third round pick and i don't think it's the one you got for emmanuel sanders but they have one from the emmanuel sanders trade you end up sending them a third round pick to get back into the first round to get denzel mims it is curious to see how mims fits next to sutton they have pretty similar skill sets so the 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 broncos still may be on the wide receiver market but this is a, a a tremendous talent it's a good player and at 31 you want to be drafting good players so i again i was much impressed with the way the broncos approached this draft six teams haven't picked yet dallas cowboys houston texans chicago bears pittsburgh Steelers, los angeles rams and the buffalo bills real quick let's just hit on some of these team needs i mean dallas they traded back from indianapolis they've now got pick 34 and 44 we're thinking dbs here right i mean it's corner or safety that's the big ones for dallas I think so. It is worth noting that Edge is still a big need for that team, and Zach Bond is still on the board as of right now for this draft. So that's one I would look out for at 34. true. The Chicago Bears, interior offensive line. Ruiz the only guy to go. They just hoping somebody lasts till 43? Yeah, I think, like, there's there's a ton of... of room to invest capital on the offensive line for them they, they have multiple veterans who could be replaced who could be retiring and then a need for starters as well you do have to worry about the safety position losing adrian amos hawkland dix was not the solution that they needed at that spot they need help in the secondary at multiple spots safety is a big need for them i think the steelers and the texans have some two big needs you know one at, 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 at edge on the defensive line for a pass rusher and then also at wide receiver of those two teams they're picking 40 and 49 What's going to be the better value there, you think? You think it's going to be edge or wide receiver for those two teams? I think Pittsburgh's in a better spot to draft an edge 
Uh, I think that it, once you start getting into the 50s, you really start arriving at the value for the tier two edges. You look at a guy like a Josh Uche out of uh, out of Michigan. You look at a, a John Grenard at uh, Florida, Terrell Lewis, Alabama. This is where I think those players are likely to go and where I think you're going to get a good return on them. They do have to worry about losing Bud Dupree to free agency next year. Obviously, he's franchise tagged this year. For the Texans, I remain unconvinced that wide receiver is a big need for them. They made the Brandon Cooks trade, obviously, a few days ago. And so now we've got Cooks, Kenny Stills, QT, Will Fuller. It's a ton of the same body type, but it's talent. And I'm not sure they'll add another wide receiver in the draft. This is where I would go try to invest on my defensive line. And when you look at tweener-type players, think about a Marlon Davidson out of Auburn, Raekwon Davis out of Alabama, Jordan Elliott even as, as a penetrating three-tech out of Missouri. This is where I'd like to see those players go. I think Houston needs that body type. Real quick, Rams and Bills, give me the top need for both of those teams picking in the 50s in the second round. The Rams need to add a linebacker help and pass rush. Yep, uh, this definitely. is an I- ideal place for a, a tweener sort of player there. Think about John Grenard, Josh Uche, outside linebacker, who maybe occasionally drop into coverage. And then for the Buffalo Bills, after the Stephon Diggs trade, they really don't have a huge starting need remaining. I think a pass rusher opposite Jerry Hughes or a young corner to compete with Josh Norman for a starting job, those are the two spots I'd look to upgrade. Time to get to some of those second-round picks. I'm excited to see how these teams can make themselves better for the first time in this draft. You guys stick around. Thank you, Ben and Trevor. Fantastic analysis all week long. So the Dallas Cowboys, we didn't really talk about them as winners and losers. I'd like the move, I think, for Dallas, though. Add a pick. They need a lot of depth on this roster because they have a ton of high-priced players. It's going to be a stars and scrubs sort of a roster, I think, for the Dallas Cowboys as far as how people are getting paid there. So having more selections to build that depth and have some cheaper players filter through there, I think is a smart move. And we had talked about the strength of this draft, and they were just outside of that line of players we thought were slam-dunk first-rounders. You still might like a player at 17 if you're the Dallas Cowboys, but if a team comes calling with two second-round, two pretty early second-round picks, I think it's a smart move by Dallas. So I think I think a win there for the Dallas Cowboys the way this board fell. I didn't mention them as a winner, but yes, they got out of the, what we always think of that dreaded number 17 with the sweet 16 off the board they pick up some more picks they could absolutely use them keep fortifying the defense um i I think they would have loved for somebody like ruiz to have fallen to 34 and maybe if you are sitting at 34 if he would have fallen a little past 23 where he went you could have gone back up and grabbed somebody like him but there's still some defensive backs on the board um, Blacklock, I think, would make a lot of sense too. Penetrating interior defensive linemen. I mean, uh, how about Edge? How much faith do you have in Gregory and Alden Smith? I mean, you really only need one of the two to hit, but certainly neither could. So uh, I kind of look at it like best defensive player available. Um, Diggs is still out there, really good corner. McKinney's out there, but I think corners a bigger need than safety. But I might go Blacklock here. Marcus Mosher and Landon McCool in the Locked On Cowboys war room. Find out who they would like to take in the second round if the board were to fall this way at pick 34 in the Locked On NFL mock draft. All right, Landon, we are back at the Cowboys pick at number 34. Uh, The Cowboys originally owned the 17th pick in the first round, uh, but we moved that pick back for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, We gained the 34th and 44th pick. Uh, And at pick number 34, we selected Alabama cornerback Trevon Diggs. Uh, Landon, why don't you go ahead and tell the people why we traded back and why we made this uh, selection? 
Yeah, we just felt like once Kinlaw and, and Henderson were off the board that the, the talent kind of plateaued at that point. Those were our last two first-rounders. Uh, we wanted to get a, a cornerback. I mean, that's kind of really the one position where we felt like we we wanted to try to come away with a guy who you know, could be a, a, a CB1 on this team, yeah. if maybe yeah. not day one, then at least you know midway through the season. Uh, and we felt like if we traded back to around this area where we got, where we where we got the offer from the Colts, we would probably in be in the sweet spot for a, a line of these kind of next tier of cornerbacks that we liked a bunch of them, uh, but we're we're hoping to get a two for one deal by by picking up obviously the the forty four that will come a couple of picks after this as well. Uh, the only thing is we almost gambled and lost because the run of the cornerbacks came incredibly early in the first round. Uh, and, and kind of almost put us in a bind, but we ended up with a guy that I think we, we liked, and, and frankly, if we hadn't been able to trade back, may have been someone that the Cowboys in real life may consider at 17 if it falls that way. Yeah, absolutely. A.J. Terrell, uh, Kristen Fulton, Jeff Gladney, Jalen Johnson all come off the board in the first round along with C.J. Henderson and Jeffrey Okuda. Uh, very realistic of what could happen in the NFL draft because we know that cornerbacks typically get picked really early. Um, really quickly, let's talk about his fit with the Cowboys in 2020. Is he a day one starter? How much does he make an impact as a rookie? What do you view Diggs as uh, potential outcomes for the Cowboys? Well, I think he has uh, the traits to kind of develop quickly. They'll throw him out there for sure, and he'll, he's going to get a lot of snaps early. Uh, does he become your top guy right away? Probably not immediately. But, no, probably but not. I think that he is, uh, you know, once you clean up some technique work, you put him in a position in coverage situations that he's comfortable with. Uh, he has a, a, a you know a ball hacking mentality and an ability and length and, and the ability to kind of move, especially in a kind of a zone coverage schemes, uh, cover one, cover three schemes where he can get up the field a little bit, but you know maybe not maybe have some help at, at some points. I, I think that he can he can handle that kind of work right away and then work his way into being. Uh, that that CB one, the guy that is like the reliable guy on, on the outside for you. Yeah, and we'll finish up with this. The Cowboys in this mock draft still have picks forty four and fifty one. Two more picks in the mid rounds. Uh, who are some of the names that you would have been interested in grabbing after already drafting Diggs at pick thirty four? Well, I think you know the, the, some of these guys ended up probably will end up getting picked later on. But I mean, some of the names that were probably available around them, uh, you know, uh, Kyle Duggar. Aquara, uh, uh, Win- Antoine Winfield Jr. was a guy that mm-hmm. they're looking at safety. Yeah, you know, but even maybe Zach Bond. Maybe, yeah, Zach Bond for sure. I mean, Zach Bond is a guy I think that we considered uh, with this pick uh, because we liked him mm-hmm. so much. Um, so I would I would say if he was available at our next pick, that he would definitely be someone we pull the trigger on. Maybe wide receiver. You know, Rager, Chenault, both of those guys uh, could have been available that are down our lower pick. Uh, I I think the thing about this trade is that you kind of hit the sweet spot for a couple different uh, positions where the Cowboys have needs and could take uh, some young talent. Yeah, overall, I thought it was a really good draft for us, you know, being able to move down, still get a guy that we view maybe as a fringe first-rounder, somebody that can fill a big need, and picking up multiple picks on day two, uh, you know, more opportunities for the Cowboys to address other receiver or other positions of need, such as receiver, uh, maybe even linebacker, offensive line. So overall, we're pretty happy with what we did here. Uh, in this mock draft on the Locked On Podcast Network. 
Trevon Diggs, uh, one of those corners that I think is hurt by not having that 40 time, especially for the type of player he is, where that's one of the things where you really want to see if you're a scout. And I think it's going to keep him out of the set, out of the first round. So you, I feel a lot better here if you're the Cowboys. You move down to taking a player like Trevon Diggs than if he was one of your top guys at the end of round one. Right. And if you're just watching tape, I mean, your scouting report is questionable speed. You know, great ball skills, great size, wide receiver, background, playmaker, tough, all those things. But what's his speed? Well, that's a guy you want to see the 40 on. <laughs> you know, like I, I, his 40 times more important to me than Henry Ruggs's. Teams have to trust their tape quite a bit here in this process when it comes to some prospects like that. And I think we could see wildly different draft boards because of those reasons uh, this year. So it's going to be a fun year and it's going to be probably one of the wildest drafts we've seen in a very long time. Okay, when we come back, we've got Houston Texans coming up, the Chicago Bears, Pittsburgh Steelers, the Rams, and the Bills. Round two in the Locked On NFL mock draft special. The Houston Texans made another move, Bill O'Brien, trading Bill. They got rid of one of their big star receivers in DeAndre Hopkins. We've talked a lot about that on the show. Bill O'Brien, I think, getting crushed for good reason for some of the stuff he's doing as a GM. But they have added not only Randall Cobb, but now they made a trade, traded away a second-round pick, Brandon Cooks. And originally, uh, the Texans crew here were looking at T. Higgins as a draft pick for them in the second round. Now trading one of their second-round picks, getting Brandon Cooks, they have changed that pick. So let's find out who the Texans would be targeting now at pick 40. You know what? I think you still maybe might look at wide receiver and a player like T. Higgins would make some sense, I think, for the Houston Texans, even after what they've done. Because I think Higgins, when I first saw that name, it fits. It, it really fits with, with right. what Deshaun Watson does well. Right. Yeah. And there's rumors now that that Kenny Stills might be on his way out. I, I don't really know what the plan is there in Houston, but to be honest, even still, I wouldn't have a problem with T. Higgins, although that's no longer going to be the selection. Yeah, and that would be value. When you said that, I thought, boy, he's kind of like Hopkins, and you know, Watson will put the ball up in the air to go up and get it and be a basketball player. Higgins has those talents. There are some impressive receivers here. I kind of look at this offense, and this is probably a topic for next week, is Cook, Stills, QT question mark Fuller Johnson and Johnson in the backfield are all receivers. Like I know Hopkins isn't there, but Watson might be a fantasy gold mine and just throw it like crazy to five. Okay. Options instead of one great one. Um, but the defense doesn't work. The secondary is not very good. Their edge pass rush is okay. Reader moved on. Um, I kind of like their linebackers, but I would probably look at best front line or back line defender. And by the way, Deshaun Watson, because of all this that's gone on the offseason, he probably drops a little bit in those fantasy drafts. So maybe I know. a bit of Sneaky. a steal, huh? Okay. Yeah, I see where you're at. That one. I see where we're shotgun and just swinging all over the field to whoever. <laughs> and yeah, and if you're behind in more games, then there you go. You're chucking it yep, even more. Yep. All right, let's find out who the Houston Texans will select at pick 40 in the Lockdown NFL mock draft. <laughs> With the 40th overall draft pick, the Texans select Terrell Lewis, outside linebacker from Alabama. Before the final months of the college football season, I thought Lewis would be a lock for the first round. Yet, due to some combined explosions and team needs for a receiver, his draft stock is now around mid-second round. The Texans need an edge rusher to match what Merciless does for this team and a possible contingency plan for Watt. And after speaking with Lewis at the Combine and Senior Bowl, Lewis could be the future with time, but could also contribute right away. 
Lewis was a second-team All-SEC selection in 2019 after racking up 31 tackles, 11.5 for loss, and six sacks and two pass breakups in 11 games, with only three starts. Lewis proved to be past his injury history after missing a chunk of his first two seasons, exciting physical and athletic traits with a good spin finesse move. I think he's perfect for the Houston Texans, and we're taking him. Love that. We like him. We're taking him. And Terrell Lewis, an interesting player, got hurt a lot at Alabama, but big-time recruit, as everybody is that's playing for the Crimson Tide. Talked about a lot as a first-rounder throughout a lot of this process. Has fallen off recently, but, you know, height, weight, speed, coming off the edge as a second-round pick, there's definitely a high upside here with Terrell Lewis as a pass rusher and a stand-up rusher at the next level. Yeah, there's a lot of ability here. He looks like a top-notch recruit. You know, especially in the Bama uniform and long and, you know, prototypical size, good tester, smooth athlete. But his tape was just okay to me. You know, like he didn't play like, you know, there was glass in his Wheaties. I mean, I I think he could have wanted it a little bit more, uh, a little bit inconsistent, turned it off and on. Maybe a light bulb goes off or maybe it's a different situation in the pros. But there's ability here. There's no doubt. We're getting into the 40s, and it's really hard to know exactly what players will be on the board at these spots. The Chicago Bears at 43 have a selection in the second round, and it's a player that I think could fall this far, and if he does, it would be a slam dunk pick. Let's check in with the Chicago Bears war room and find out who they would like to select at 43 in round two of the mock draft. When the best player available on your draft board happens to be at a position of need, it really is a no-brainer pick. And for the Chicago Bears, they can't get enough Alabama safeties in their secondary. So Xavier McKinney comes in as the perfect complement to Eddie Jackson on the back end of this defense. McKinney's a guy that was trusted with similar responsibilities in that Nick Saban defense at Alabama, but he can come into Chicago and really utilize that versatility. He could play some of the deep end when they want to go two deep looks, but he can step up in the box. He can cover the slot. He can step up in run defense. He can get after the quarterback as a blitzer, and he's got some pretty elite ball skills and great return ability as well when he has the ball in his hands. He's potentially the top safety in this upcoming NFL draft, and to be able to get him in the second round with the 43rd overall pick feels like complete highway robbery for this Bears team, really filling a massive need vacated by another former Alabama safety, haha Clinton Dix, who departed in free agency. The Bears still have Deion Bush under contract at the spot. They may be gearing up for a competition there, but McKinney would step in and be the immediate favorite and likely a day one starter. He's not an elite athlete necessarily, but he's not slow either. You know, there's, there's little tweaks here and there. I think we could see improvement in his game moving forward, particularly, I think, on the deeper end. But in Chicago, he could be much more in that underneath box safety role. Keep Eddie Jackson more in his natural position, roaming the deep middle of the field and really just giving the secondary that next young exciting player that can take advantage of a juiced up Bears front seven really show off those ball skills and be a playmaker in a defense that was predicated on that in 2018 lost a little bit of that moxie that swagger in 2019 but McKinney seems like the perfect fit to jump in and help bring a little bit of that energy back into that Chicago defense it's a perfect fit at a huge position of need and an absolute steal for the Bears. 
Xavier McKinney, safety, the University of Alabama. Nick Saban has a history of producing fantastic safeties that move on to play in the NFL. Guys like Eddie Jackson and Landon Collins, just to name a couple. Xavier McKinney has the potential to be as good as those two players in the NFL, in my opinion. He has been an incredible player starting these last two years for the Crimson Tide. This last season, Xavier McKinney had 95 total tackles, 59 solo, and five and a half tackles for loss to go along with three interceptions, three sacks, and a fumble recovery. He also forced four other fumbles and recorded one defensive touchdown. Xavier McKinney was one of the team leaders on defense for Alabama this season, a defense that was decimated by injury. He did a fantastic job keeping the team together and allowing them to only lose two games this past season. If a team takes Xavier McKinney in the first round, it will be an incredible steal, in my opinion, as Xavier McKinney is destined for a long career in the NFL. To check out more about Xavier McKinney and all things Alabama, listen to me and Jimmy Stein on Locked On Bama. Xavier McKinney has some really good tape. I watched him and I thought, why is everybody so high? I get that he's a really good safety prospect, but he's a safety and, and safeties tend to get pushed down. He doesn't wow you in the height, weight, speed department. He's definitely instinctive and a really good player that could play, you know, deep safety. He could play close to the line of scrimmage, but I, with all the talent on Alabama, I didn't see a player that I thought, oh man, I'm fighting to draft this guy in the top 20. So I think 43 feels a lot more right for Xavier McKinney. And I think he could be on the board here because we, we saw him work out. And I talked about how those players that worked out at the combine, most of them were helped. Someone like McKinney, maybe not as much because he ran in the four sixes. I just don't think GMs will draft that player in the first round. I don't think it'll be a first round pick either. And I tend to think there won't be a safety in the first round. Good all around football player, but it wasn't like watching Minka at Bama, you know. I mean, he's not, right. he's not all over the place. Or you know, you 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 team him in Chicago with Eddie Jackson, and Eddie Jackson is all over the place. I mean, like that looks like a first round safety. I know he didn't go in the first round, but he had injuries and whatnot. Where McKinney looks like a nice piece of the puzzle that can do a lot of things, but isn't going to light it up. And I do think he probably goes certainly day two, maybe as late as this. Speaking of players and where they could be available in round two, the Pittsburgh Steelers are the next team we are going to check in with. They pick at number 49, and it's very common to see a running back go to them. Let's see if that's where the Locked On Steelers war room goes with this selection. And then, Matt, I know you're a Steelers guy. I want to get your thoughts on the direction the Steelers go here after we hear from the pick. With the 49th overall pick, the Pittsburgh Steelers select... DeAndre Swift, running back out of Georgia. Swift is an X-Factor type of back that would immediately boost the Steelers' offense. They've been missing that kind of threat since they lost Le'Veon Bell. Although James Conner did make the Pro Bowl in 2018, he had an injury-riddled 2019, and Kevin Colbert, team general manager, has made several comments in this offseason about that being an issue. There's also reports coming out from several beat riders close to the Steelers' front office and locker room that this is going to be a serious consideration that the team address the running back position and do it early. Yes, they've drafted running backs in the past three straight drafts with Benny Snell, Jalen Samuels, and James Conner. But getting one in the second round would be the first time they've done that since they drafted Le'Veon Bell. Swift is, is an X-Factor type of back. 
He makes people miss at all points. He has home run speed. And he seems like he would be a prime threat ready to start right away in the NFL. He also looks like he could run behind both power run schemes and zone blocking schemes. A factor that hasn't been taken into consideration for James Conner's game, as he's more primarily a power runner that excels when he has lead blockers. But having a back that can do both would quickly boost Ben Roethlisberger's return. Needing a balanced attack would prevent him from having to lead the NFL in passing attempts again, which is what happened in the year before that he had elbow surgery that ended his season in 2019. It's most likely that the Steelers are not going to try and ask Ben Roethlisberger to throw the ball all over the place. Instead, they would prefer a balanced offensive attack to keep help with efficiency, keep the ball on their, on their side of the field, and make sure that the defense is getting ample rest. That didn't happen enough in 2019, and a defense that had a great year leading the NFL in both sacks and forced turnovers didn't lead to any playoff runs because of their lack of quarterback play. Now, Ben Roethlisberger's back. And if they can boost the run game with their first pick, it seems like it would be the obvious choice to get the best running back on the board with their first pick of the draft in the second round at 49th overall. DeAndre Swift, running back at the University of Georgia. 5'10", 215 junior. Last year rushed for 1,218 yards. Had 24 receptions out of the backfield. He will be a much better NFL career than he had a college career. He was underutilized at the University of Georgia. He is a one-foot-in-the-ground, make-you-miss kind of guy. He's not going to truck a lot of people, but he'll get dirty yards when need be. He can get out of the backfield on a swing pass. Excellent pass catcher out of the backfield. Uh, can go into any offense and succeed at the next level. Absolutely. There's been a long line of great UGA running backs in the NFL, and DeAndre Swift is simply the next one on the list. He is maybe the most versatile running back that UGA has put into the league in quite some time. He has elite top-end speed, and he has a devastating change of direction, which is going to allow him to excel at the next level. He's an excellent receiver out of the backfield, and he was extremely poorly utilized at the University of Georgia in his career. Agree with Clint completely. He will have a better pro career than he had a college career, and he had a pretty darn good college career. That's right, he did. Do not think Todd Gurley or Nick Chubb when you think DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift is a he-gone kind of back, where if he gets a crease, he gets a lane, he gets six inches in between two bodies that block well for him. He's not going to have the career that Christian McCaffrey has or Derrick Henry with notoriety. He's going to be a stable force, Tevin Coleman-type running back on the best days, the best Sundays for your team. Uh, I would love to have DeAndre Swift. He's going to complement any offense well and be a weapon that he can get a touch down on any chance he gets the ball maybe a pro bowl type career uh certainly not up the of the upper echelon of running backs but a solid good top 10 top five this has been daniel and clint of the lockdown bulldogs podcast your source for the university of georgia news and content every single day the more i look at the way the draft is falling and no running backs went in the first round of our mock draft and getting into round two, you only need, you know, a handful more picks for one of these running backs to fall. And it's seeming more and more likely that the Steelers are going to have maybe their choice of a couple, but at least one really good running back at 49. And it starts to make a ton of sense. I don't know if DeAndre Swift will be that guy, though. What is your thoughts on the Steelers in the running back position? 
this seems a little optimistic for Swift to fall to 49. And I will say these last couple picks are a little on the optimistic side by the locked on host, but okay, we'll let it slide. I mean, we didn't run a whole second round mock, but I, I talk about this almost every day on my Steelers show anymore is I think there's five tier one running backs. I guarantee two, maybe three, maybe four are there at 49. And I think the Steelers have a very good chance of taking one. If not, I think they would take the Pittman, Ayuk, Chenault, you know, somebody, something like that. I mean, either a too good receiver to pass up or a tier one running back. You actually don't have Swift in your top. Wait, you don't have him in your top I, three, right? I think he's three. I got to be honest. I mean, when I wrote that list, I could have taken all five of them, shaken them up and thrown them out. It <laughs> depends what team you're. I really don't have a difference between one and five. I mean, I know that I had Edwards Hilaire five. Um, I had Dobbins one, but really the difference between the two of them is very minimal. And again, Swift is one of the guys that worked out the combine, worked out well. Uh, he's got some great tape. If you want the shiftier running back, I think DeAndre mm -hmm. Swift is the one that GMs will feel most comfortable with. And of course, Taylor's the the home run hitting, more downhill running back. I, I have a feeling those two guys will go first just because more boxes yeah. were checked in this uh, in this. But hey, if that means you end up with Cam Akers or J.K. Dobbins for the Steelers, I mean, still, you know, it's a home run pick, I think. Yeah, I think it's an easy one. And this team is in win now mode. The Ben window is closing. Uh, the running back position was very poor. Connor's a free agent after this year. I really doubt they invest in him. Durability problems. So I think it's a pretty obvious pick. I mean, receiver's the only other direction I could really see unless somebody happens to fall that just blows your doors off. Standing by a pair of teams that traded away their first round selections, the Los Angeles Rams at 52. The Buffalo Bills don't pick until 54. The last team to have their first selection in this draft. And then we will go to Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino of the Draft Dudes podcast to wrap this thing up on the Locked On Podcast Network Mock Draft Special. The LA Rams only have six selections in this draft, so they could do a number of things. They could maybe try to trade up. I think uh, the more picks, the better for the way this team is built. We talked about the Stars and Scrubs lineup that the Cowboys are running out there. That was sort of the strategy for the Rams that's looking like it's falling apart a little bit. Uh, it's it's really hard to know the direction the Rams will go here, but uh, they traded away Cook, so wide receiver makes a ton of sense. What are your thoughts on the Rams as they head into the draft and what their plan could be? They can go a lot of directions. I mean, is running back off the table with Gurley gone? Is Henderson and every down back? Cooks is gone. I mean, do you need another receiver now? I, I think they'll play fewer 11 personnel, play more 12. The offensive line should not be ignored. The defense is very star-oriented, but you lost Littleton. Um, the edge guys are okay. They're not ideal. I think the secondary is fine. It's not ideal. So... I, I don't really like the direction this team has gone of late. And I think that's kind of a failed experiment experiment, but we'll see um, a lot of directions. They could go in the draft and not having a first for five years in a row tends to hurt you. Yeah. That's, that's usually not the best strategy. <laughs> and it's, and you know, and especially if you're losing at the same time, some of the star players on your team that you thought were mm -hmm. going to be the foundational pieces, but let's check in with the Rams picking at 52. Brad Motter standing by. Who would he like to fall here to the Rams in the Locked On NFL Mock Draft? 
Colbert Mater of Lockdown Rams. Coming into the 2020 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams have a ton of holes to fill. Linebackers Corey Littleton and Dante Fowler, along with kicker Greg Zerline, walked in free agency. Todd Gurley, Clay Matthews, Nikel Roby Coleman were all cut or released by the Rams. And most recently, Brandon Cooks was traded to the Texans for much-needed draft capital, a second-round pick in this year's draft, number 57. But we're here talking about the Rams' first pick in the 2020 draft, and that's number 52. This one's tough. The Rams can go so many ways. I truly believe the Rams are going to be trading back off of this second-round pick, trying to collect some more draft capital in this draft, as this draft is deep in many positions. But you could see them looking at a top-tier running back like Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin, J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State, or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU to help fill that 200 carries that Todd Gurley had filled in years past. But again, you could also find value in the third and fourth round at running back. Plus, the Rams still seem to be high on guys they have in the building, like last year's third-round pick Daryl Henderson or veteran Malcolm Brown. Then again, maybe you look to fill the Brandon Cooks role at number 52 with guys like Denzel Mims from Baylor, who they met with at the Combine, or Brandon and Ayuk out of Arizona State. Both really good prospects that might be there. But again, this draft is deep at wide receiver, so maybe that's not the pressing need right out of the gate. That's why with the 52nd pick in the 2020 draft, I have selected linebacker out of Wisconsin, Zach Bond for the Los Angeles Rams. Bond is such an interesting prospect, and realistically, it would be amazing if he fell to number 52 to the Rams. This is a guy who was a quarterback in high school. In fact, he won Wisconsin Offensive Player of the Year his senior year. ESPN had him listed as the number 23 quarterback in his class. When he got to Wisconsin, he switched to defense. And what you love about him most is his versatility, a true hybrid defender that can fill multiple roles, which is exactly what the Rams need, especially considering the Rams' new defensive coordinator and former linebackers coach Brandon Staley is in town. Brown would make an impact right away on the Rams' defense and could be used in many ways. At Wisconsin, Brown was given a chance to drop back in coverage, rush the passer off the edge, shoot the gaps, and defend the run. All things that the Rams need help with with the loss of Littleton and Fowler. In his senior season at Wisconsin, he racked up 75 tackles, 19.5 tackles for loss, 12.5 sacks, which landed him on the first team all Big Ten honors. Zach Bond is going to be a big-time playmaker at the next level. Along with the physical gifts, he's got the IQ to go with it. As I mentioned before, he came from the offense side of the ball as a quarterback, so he knows what an offense is looking at and how to dissect it from the defense side of the ball now. Here's a quote from Zach Bond about this. Quote, if you want to be an elite-level player, you have to have the highest football IQ and be able to recognize things before they are going to happen. Wisconsin has taught me that. Now, the biggest issue for Bond going to the Rams is really just trying to get him at 52. I've seen him as early as number 26 to the Dolphins in the first round. Some have him projected low to middle rounds in the second round. But if Zach Bond is sitting there at 52, the Rams have no other choice to draft a linebacker that can come in and play immediately. Zach Bond, outside linebacker from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And Zach Bond is a guy that had quite the journey at Wisconsin, had a big setback in 2017, and that was from a foot injury that held him out the entire year. That happened before the season started. And it was seen as a setback at the time, although actually it was honestly one of the best things that's happened to Bond because he used that time, got himself better, and it came back a much stronger player and in 2018 he showed that 63 total tackles two and a half sacks and interception but it was the jump from 2018 to this past season that was notable most notable for the outside linebacker he had one of the best years of any senior in college football 
finished with 12 and a half sacks, 76 total tackles, and was named a first-team All-Big Ten backer. If you're talking about Zach Bond's best moment this season, and this season was by far, far and away, his best year at Wisconsin. In Wisconsin's biggest game at the time, it didn't end up being, of course, the Badgers' biggest game, but at the time, they needed to beat Minnesota. He had to the Big Ten Championship game. This is the last game of the regular season, and Zach Bond stepped up in a huge way, had two sacks, nine total tackles, and helped helped to hold the Gophers, uh, an offense that was explosive throughout the year, to just 17 points in Wisconsin's 38-17 win. Zach Bond's strengths, it's easy. It's definitely his football IQ and his speed. He has the ability to, to make different types of plays, meaning he can drop back in coverage, he can attack the quarterback, he can do both of those things at a high level because he is such a smart football player. And if you're talking about a weakness, it's probably his body, his measurables, and just his ability to be that freak athlete. That's not who he is. Like He's not going to wow you with his athleticism, but his football IQ absolutely makes up for that. This is Asher Lowe of Locked On Badgers, your source for Wisconsin Badgers news every single day of the week. Zach Bond is an interesting name. We talked about him as a prospect yesterday quite a bit because there was a few teams at the end of round one. We thought, yeah, maybe Bond, but we don't know if he's going to go in the first round or not. I know you like Zach Bond a lot. There was the diluted sample that maybe could give some teams pause as they try to select him. I don't know about falling all the way to 52, but I would feel a lot more comfortable taking him there than maybe at the end of round one. I like him a lot, and I'm not going to bash our locked-on Rams friends, but I don't think Zach Bond's going to be there at 52. I mean, I just think he does too many things well. Maybe the drug test works in his favor to fall. You could look at him and say he's an old-school tweener back when that was a negative label that I can't line him up at edge every snap and do battles with tackles at 238 pounds and do I want him off the ball every snap? But I just look at him and say he does so many things well, so versatile, they should run to the podium if he's there at 52. And there's still a lot of old school teams in the NFL and a lot of teams that run a traditional 4-3 that aren't going to like Zach Bond because they probably won't know what to do with him and they like him as an edge, but he's definitely not going to be someone you're going to put on uh, d- put at defensive end with his hand in the dirt and ask him to take on tackles in the running game on early down. So that could push him down. I don't think it's out of the question that he falls mm-hmm. to 52. And it's it's so difficult to project someone like Zach Bond because you don't know how teams are going to treat him. And if you're treating him as an off-ball linebacker, I'm not that interested. If you're treating him as a stand-up pass rusher, I'm very interested. So that's yeah. that's where it comes down to Zach Bond for me, which is why I think he only fits for half the teams in the league. And if that, which is why he could potentially fall to 52 to the Los Angeles Rams. Good point. He's not for everyone. And another team that traded away their first round pick is the Buffalo Bills. And they got themselves a star wide receiver in Stephon Diggs. I liked that trade for the Bills. Uh, it takes them out of the wide receiver situation, which was the need they were pegging the Bills for at 22 in every mock draft you saw. So now they're on the clock at 54. What direction have the Buffalo Bills and Joe Marino? Uh, he's been involved in this mock draft quite a bit as host of the Draft Dudes podcast, but now this is his first chance to check in and select an actual player as the host of Locked on Bills. Uh, what direction do you think the Bills could go here? And how do you feel about what the Bills have done to get here, picking at 54 and a team that seems to be in the best uh, the best chance to take over that AFC East from the Tom Brady-less New England Patriots? Yeah, I mean, after acquiring Diggs, it's hard to come up with major needs for the Bills. I mean, it's the first time I can remember where the, the Bills will be making their first pick and you say, there isn't really something they need. It's usually they need five different things. I mean, they've really built this roster well. 
I think a young edge pass rusher would be great, but it's probably a little dry at 54 for that and not a class that's great for that. Other than that, I mean, would you take a big Jonathan Taylor-like back and team him with Singletary or somebody along those lines? It's a luxury pick, but I think they could afford to pull it off. I like their tight ends, but what about a Cole Komet or somebody like that? You could always fortify the offensive line or the defensive line or uh, maybe even be in the market for a second corner if, if you put a lot of faith in Josh Norman. To the Locked On Bills War Room and the final selection in the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. With the 54th pick in the draft, the Buffalo Bills select Jeremy Chin out of Southern Illinois. And what this pick comes down to is giving Buffalo a positionless defensive player to add to what is already a dominant unit. Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, their defense is known for being very disciplined, very scheme driven, very assignment driven. They make you earn everything, but it's not an exotic scheme. And with the Bills being in now year four of this era, it's time for them to add some wrinkles to the package. And a player like Jeremy Chin, who's 6'3", 221 pounds, runs 4.45 in the 40-yard dash, a 41-inch vertical jump. It provides McDermott and Frazier a guy that they can put on the field in sub packages and be a matchup neutralizer. The Buffalo Bills are now in a window to compete in the AFC. And in order for them to reach their goals, they're going to have to get past the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs, two teams that feature very dynamic offensive attacks with a ton of speed and very exciting playmakers. You have to have players like Chin to neutralize players like Travis Kelsey and players like Lamar Jackson and Justice Hill and Mark Andrews. This is the type of matchup-specific guy that can help the Bills' defense remain elite and take it to the next level as they gear up to compete now in the AFC in terms of where this Bills football team is in their life cycle. And so, no, he doesn't come in and replace Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer at safety. He adds to what those players bring to the mix and gives the Bills a ton more speed, range, physicality, and overall dynamic athleticism and physical traits to be a positionless defensive player and help take this Buffalo defense to new heights and help it maximize its opportunity to win and compete in the AFC. Jeremy Chin is a prospect that has a ton of helium right now. And for those teams that may be, we talked about how, okay, the the Denver Broncos missed out on the speed they wanted maybe at 15 and they didn't get Henry Ruggs, but they moved up and they ended up with Denzel Mims and they got their speed for a team that says, Oh man, you know what I would love is sort of a safety linebacker hybrid that can flat out fly, but can also cover be a dime linebacker. You, you're not drafting high enough to draft someone like Isaiah Simmons, but you're here in the middle, the early part of second round seems like right about the, the range that Jeremy chin from Southern Illinois could go and really fill that role for you on defense and he's a player that not a lot of people were talking about shows up the combine and it's like, Oh, wait a second. This guy's a freak of nature. This makes sense. I mean, cause I think he could probably be the fourth or fifth safety off the board. Tons of traits needs a little work, but it's not like he's going to push their two starting safeties. He's going to be a Jack of all trades, line them up next to Edmonds at times and just watch those two gazelles run at six, four and six, three and, um, you know, put them on tight ends in times, blitz them. 
goes back to my point that I didn't see a position they had to address. So just take a high upside defensive playmaker, throw him in the mix, and I think that staff will get the most out of him. There's a few prospects in this draft that maybe the casual fan didn't know about during the college football season and and wasn't really paying attention much to the draft process. And they might be very surprised by how high someone like Jeremy Chin goes. And I think it was Daniel Jeremiah who said he wouldn't be shocked if Jeremy Chin worked his way into the end of round one with all of that athletic ability, which was an interesting comment. And But there's been a few of those comments where it's like, so-and-so, hey, don't be surprised round one. And it's like, well, there's only 32 picks, and we said that about 50 <laughs> sure. guys, so let's see. But, you know, there's a few players like that that could really shock people about how high they go, and I think Jeremy Chin is one of those. Yeah, and there does seem like a lot of buzz. I've heard even people talk about how much different is he than Isaiah Simmons? You know, like he played at Southern Illinois and not Clemson, and he's not Isaiah Simmons. But if you looked at him as the Miller Lite version of Isaiah Simmons, they <laughs> right. tested about the same. If you think about using them in a very similar manner, Simmons is far more instinctual and sees the field and is a better heady player. But you see where I'm going with this. Right. And I think Simmons more linebacker that can play safety. Chin more yeah. safety that could play some linebacker in dime situations. And Chin got his he's pretty instinctive. Got his hands on the ball a lot, which is what you love. You want to see a player dominate his level. And he did. And then he throws down the combine. So definitely someone who's on the rise in Jeremy Chin out of. And I like how Joe Marino put his position as defense. From Southern Yeah, Illinois. I saw that. That's, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of Joe Marino, let's wrap this thing up with the Draft Dudes. Now joined by Kyle Krabs at the Draft Desk. Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs of the Draft Dudes podcast. And the draft is now complete. And it's fun to now take a bird's eye view of the picks that were made and get into some of our favorite selections. So Kyle, as you reflect upon the picks that were made, what stands out to you in terms of something you really liked? Man, uh, I, I look at some of these teams who moved up and down the board, and, and the Dallas Cowboys are a team that stands out to me. Uh, moving back 17 spots, getting an extra top 50, 50 pick, and still landing a big player at a position of need And Trayvon Diggs, I thought made a lot of sense. I like the Denver Broncos coming the other way and moving up from 46 to pairing a third-round pick to get up to 31, trading with the San Francisco 49ers, getting another big body. You know, we, we heard they wanted speed. And they got speed at wide receiver with Denzel Mims, uh, but they were typically associated with Henry Ruggs. But now you've got Cortland Sutton and Denzel Mims as these two big bodied vertical type receivers for Drew Locke. They were another team that stood out to me that I really liked what they did. One of those teams coming down the draft board, the other one going up the draft board. Well, I was certainly going to pound the table there for the Denver Broncos as well, because they came away with you know, a defensive lineman like Javon Kinlaw, when you think about that defensive line with Jarrell Casey, with Von Miller, with Bradley Chubb, and now Javon Kinlaw, you have a lot of talent that's going to put stress on these offensive lines. And obviously they want to take down the Chiefs and the AFC West. Now they've got some stallions up front to get after them. But then, like you mentioned, to come back and get that wide receiver that we thought was such a need for them to make sure Drew Locke had a full uh, ca supporting cast of weapons, they were able to do that with just a, a, a trade-up that cost them a third-round pick, which I think was a, a good deal, and they had a plethora of third-round picks. So a really good job making that draft capital count. I do want to mention, obviously, one more pick, the the, the Patrick Queen selection for the Baltimore Ravens. and you yeah, know it's great they, value. They don't typically take LSU Tigers over there at Baltimore, but this was definitely the time to make an exception. And um, a player like this, in that Wink Martindale 
really aggressive blitz heavy offense or defense to have a guy like queen with his range, his ability to play in coverage and his ability to attack downhill. I think you got the right guy to kind of step in and, and make people forget about what they lost a couple of years ago in CJ Mosley. So no, no, the Ravens didn't move up or down the order. They, they, they stayed uh, put at, at 28, but they got themselves a really quality football player. Joe, I would ask you this. What was your biggest surprise pick? I have three candidates between the Raiders drafting A.J. Terrell at 19, Austin Jackson going to the Jacksonville Jaguars at 20, or Philadelphia drafting Brandon Ayuk, the wide receiver from Arizona State at 21. The Denver Broncos need to send a thank you card to the Eagles for drafting Ayuk because that's what allowed Mims to get down there. Mims has really commonly been tied to the Green Bay Packers at 30, but they chose to go with Justin Jefferson because the Eagles opted to go a different direction at wide receiver. I think you you did a good job of, of kind of picking the, the, the ones that stood out to me as major surprises. Uh, to go against the grain a little bit, I will mention the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team that obviously geared up to, to go make a run here with Tom Brady as their quarterback, and they didn't get one of the top uh, four offensive tackles at 14. They slide back to 22, and they get Josh Jones, who – you know, I, I think has some upside to start, but this is a team in win now mode and a project, the offensive tackle like Josh Jones, to me is not the consolation prize. The Buccaneers should have been looking for when they moved away from pick 14. Well, we hope you guys have enjoyed this mock draft experience with the locked on network. We know who certainly enjoyed taking part of it. Kyle Crabb signing off with Joe Marino. That's going to be it from us here on the show. All right, Matt, that's it. We did it. We got through six episodes, a week plus of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft. We heard from all 32 hosts here on the Locked On NFL Network, and uh, that was super fun. I love this project, and it was even bigger than last year. Sounded better. So fun getting the college hosts involved and the profiles that were amazing. Glad we were able to run through this and uh, bring everybody on the network together and just show what kind of talent we have here on the network. Yeah, I mean, 38 picks, a lot of people involved, the entire network. We had the college guys this year. Like you said, it was even better constructed and produced. And I really hope this is some of your guys' first exposure to our show and the network. And you stick around because we're having a lot of fun here and things are growing quickly. Absolutely. I hope you stick around and subscribe to Locked On NFL along with your team that is covered right here on the network. Tell a friend about the Locked On Podcast Network. And I've got to shout out David Locke. And it was his brainchild to do this yeah. sort of mock draft as it was as if it was a real draft happening real time. And it was his brainchild last year. And I love how much better it even got this year. And props to him for hiring all of the talented hosts we have here on the network. And a shout out to Jay Soderberg, Pod Vader who helped produce this podcast as well and bring everybody together. So great work by everybody on the network, fun time. And nobody did a better job all week long, Matt, than you. Oh, maybe you did. <laughs> I put in the most time, <laughs> I think. Uh, I would bet. But uh, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun, well worth it. And I hope uh, it was well worth it for the listeners in the finished product, I think. It was a really cool and unique event. And let's do it again next year, huh? I like it. All right. Be back Monday talking about the latest news when it comes to the NFL right and the, the corner, NFL brother. draft. Next week is draft week. I can't wait. We will talk to you then right here. Locked on NFL.